Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So it's been good. It's been real good. Had some um, issues this morning, and um, computer crashed. Then I got it back up. Then it decided it wanted to update itself on its own. And yeah, all of that happening, but we are still here, and what I'm doing now is I'm looking to restore um, all of my links that I had saved that um, I wanted to talk about today. So, um, so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to figure out, okay, here are the backup sessions. So... Today is the 27th, so I'll restore it another way. But anyway, how's everybody doing? I am doing just fine. I'm sitting here, and I'm just looking at everything that's been going on. For those of you that have not been paying attention, um, what's his name? Sebastian Gorka resigned from the White House over the weekend, I guess it was Friday, and on Friday they released the information about them basically giving Sheriff Joe Orpio, giving him clemency, basically, you know, President Trump um, pardoned the guy. So it's been a lot of uproar about that and a number of other things that's been going on, and so I'm still not going to devote a lot of time and attention to what happened or what's happening with, you know, these resignations and firings at the White House. And the reason why, I mean, I bring it up, we could talk about it, but the main reason why I'm not giving it a lot of attention is those are just merely symptoms of the problem. And so I feel we need to be focusing more on the white supremacy and and a number of the other things that have been happening and going on um, with this particular White House. I just think that that's a little bit more urgent. And so, um, you know, that's where we'll go. We'll go from there. But, I mean, you know, that's how life goes. That's how life goes, shit happens, and we need to um, address it the best way that we know how. So last week we did a show. I made a few points. I hope that you all enjoyed yourselves because I enjoyed myself. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be here doing a show and talking to you guys about all of this good, fun stuff that's going on. I got some great feedback. Thank you for listening in to the show. Um, I'm looking forward to, you know, coming back and doing my thing. You know, this is the third week in a row, so we're doing pretty good here. You know, I was excited about coming back and doing the show. I really was unmotivated for a while just no motivation, and my focus was off, and, you know, just had to kind of pull some things together, but that's what happens. 
when it seems as though your whole world is being turned upside down, being flipped inside out, and especially when there's situations that you have absolutely no control over. You know, you just have to kind of let it happen, do the best that you can, and move forward. But um, a lot of good news, you know, found out one person who we thought needed surgery the surgeons are now saying, no, that's not necessary. So, you know, a lot of good things this, this year is turning around a little bit. But, um, you know, it was difficult. This year was very, very difficult for a number of reasons, but I've been fortunate. And so, again, thank you for hanging in there with me. Thank you for your support. I appreciate you. Um and I'm just looking forward to everything because, again, you know, the things that I want to do and the things that I'm trying to do with this show, um, you know, it, it makes a difference, at least to me. So um, I thank everybody. You know, we do appreciate feedback. You know, I do appreciate everything that, you know, people have invested in me and invested in this show because you didn't have to, but you did. So I appreciate that. So it's a lot to talk about. You know, today's show topic was basically it's a dialogue to and with um, white Christian America. And basically I called it in who do you trust. Maybe it should be in whom do you trust for all you grammar folks out there. But it's a lot happening in this country and unfortunately, you know, they got us going in 20, 30 different directions. People are missing different things that are happening. And then you still have some people who are not necessarily interested in a lot of the things that are happening around the world. And that's one of the things that I've always stressed, you know, with the show. I would talk about things that were happening in Italy and Germany and France and, you know, in, in England and all of those places. And sometimes I would have people say, why are you posting that? Because it was necessary. Because when I was posting, especially when I was posting, you know, the white supremacist activities happening in those particular countries, and I kept telling you guys to pay attention. And I also told you that it was here and that it was coming back here in even greater numbers, and people just blew it off like when they had the Nazis marching through France, um, when they had the Nazis marching through Italy, and the way they treated the black prime minister over there, and what was the, you know, the Nazi marches in Germany. We've been talking about this. I've done the best that I could to educate you guys on these things and to to challenge you to go out and look and find this shit out for yourself because it's like I'm not making it up. You know, I'm not that imaginative. I can make some shit up, but I can't make up whole stories that's being corroborated in a number of different magazines, periodicals, and newspapers. So this was happening. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, you have people in this country that are deluded, especially when, you know, I hear some of the commentary coming from certain white people and non-black people of color. 
And, you know, I have to be honest about it. I've heard some black people say these things. This is not the America I know. This is not us. Yeah, the hell it is. And I talked about that last week. And, you know, I've been talking about that from day one. Hell, it's kind of hard to just point at one specific particular show. But the activities that we see now happening in the United States, we've been, it, it happens in cycles. And the thing is, is that it never stopped happening. The difference between then and now is the Internet and the technology and the innovation. We're able to share these stories a lot faster and a lot cheaper than, you know, the phone calls. Remember when long-distance calls were like a dollar something a minute, and then they came down to a quarter a minute. Everybody thought they were getting a bargain. But anyway, so, you know, now we have the technology, and we're able to share this information with each other a lot faster, and not only a lot faster, we're able to share more information um, with each other. So it's extremely important that you pay attention. And, you know, speaking of Nazis, uh, (laughs) I'm going to get to that. So I definitely want to send our condolences to everyone that's been impacted by Hurricane Harvey because it's been devastating. I've been watching the news and watching what's happening and reading, you know, different things on the Internet, and I know of a lot of different organizations that are taking donations to send to them, whether it's water and blankets and clothes or money, what have you. You know, again, we can all play a part. So find, you know, a local group or, you know, a larger organization to give money to to help these people. Now, I'll be the first one to say that I'm not necessarily saying send it to the Salvation Army or Goodwill or any of those people because only a percentage of your donation will go towards the people. So be very, very careful and discerning as to who you choose to give money to. But in addition to that, make sure that they are accountable. So if if they if they say that you know they're giving this amount of money to their you know they they should open their books and you should be able to see how much money was donated to them because that's extremely important for you guys to know um you know as far as what's going on and what is happening in that respect because um we work hard for our money shit you know, we're very hard for our money, and you have these organizations out here um, that claim that, you know, they're doing good. And then you give them the money, and nothing ever happens. Or, you know, they turn around and, you know, just totally mislead people, and it happens. It happens. And this is why some people get angry and why some people choose not to donate money to these organizations, and I and I understand that. So, I mean, if you are able to drive down there, you have, you know, someone who's doing fundraisers or whatever, let us know. Let us know. And I try to retweet some of that stuff um, when I do see it. And what I need for people to understand, just because you see me post something on Facebook or Twitter, that does not mean that I am online or checking Facebook or on my Facebook page. You can post things from Facebook 
and not be on Facebook. So, you know, I don't want people thinking that I'm ignoring them. You know, that's not the case. Um, Also, you know, people, you'll tag me in things, and I won't see it until one, two, three weeks later. I'm not ignoring you. I just, I get so many notifications that sometimes it's, you know, difficult to keep up with those things. So, again, I want to make sure that you all know and you understand that I am not ignoring you. Sometimes I just kind of get caught up in other things, and so don't take it personal because it truly isn't, Um, and that's just how that goes. So anyway, you know, a lot to talk about today, a lot to get on the table, you know, and it's been interesting. You know, you you would have some people say that this is an exciting time. Well, it depends on what end of the bayonet you're on. (laughs) You know, (laughs) are you the one carrying a bayonet or are you the one in a slow jog trying to make sure you don't get poked by the bayonet, right? And so, um, yeah, man, it's a trip. Um, You know, I spoke briefly, you know, about... Nazis, and we'll get to that. Um, Have you all been paying attention to Donald Trump and Hurricane Harvey? Someone on one of the talk shows, they said that Donald Trump was live tweeting the hurricane like it was the McGregor Mayweather fight, and I thought that was the funniest shit ever. And so I just thought I'd share that with you guys because we're not the only ones sitting back looking at this like what the hell is really going on. And so, you know, you got a number of people that are upset because um, Donald Trump gave Sheriff Joe Arpaio, you know, a pardon. And now the guy is saying that he's thinking about going into politics or police or going back into it. And so, is you know, people are upset because, you know, they worked really hard to make sure that he was not reelected as sheriff this last time, right? And that's been happening for years. People have been dedicating themselves to doing that. And so now that Donald Trump has given him a pardon, people feel betrayed, especially when some of those folks, um, you know, they <laughs> they voted for Donald Trump, you know, and, you know, it is a travesty. You know, I don't believe that, you know, he should have gotten a pardon either. However, you know, to me, the tagline for all of that is, while he was out here rounding up documented and undocumented people, you know, profiling black, brown, red, yellow people, you all go back. I want you to look this up because this is something that I'm not hearing in many conversations. Sheriff Joe Arpaio, or ex-Sheriff Joe Arpaio, ignored over 400 sex crimes. And I'm not seeing a lot of talk about that. But I kind of think that's important. It's a little important there. So go back, read, look it up, do some research on your own to see what the hell was going on with this dude because the uproar, you know, regarding him goes beyond his rounding up, you know, um, documented and undocumented people and profiling, you know, black, brown, red, yellow people. You know, you have those factors, but there are many, many more factors to that. And the main reason why I'm telling you this is because I feel that it's important that you are aware of this. But in addition to that, 
you know, you're going to have some of his people coming at you wanting to argue about it. And I want to make sure that you have all the ammunition you need in order to effectively, you know, build a rebuttal, you know, against those folks. So, you know, many of his followers, you know, they're, they're going to ignore the sex crimes and, you know, all of those things that he put on the back burner. And we cannot allow that to be lost in this particular conversation. You know, it would be a travesty, you know, and it's not just women that are victims to sex crimes. Men, boys, girls, I mean, you all know this. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but what I'm saying to you is that I want you to build a better argument. I want you to get a better understanding of what's happening in this world. And so, you know, what's been going on with these people and the crazy shit that we have been dealing with because it's been it's been a hell of a year so far, and not just with personal stuff, but, you know, with this guy that you guys elected. And so, yeah, one more word of encouragement to the people in Texas. Help is on the way. And it's been beautiful watching the news, watching people get in their boats to go and rescue neighbors. And I don't know if you all saw the video of the people in the nursing home that the nursing home had flooded and they were showing people in their wheelchairs and in the bed and just the water. It's just, it's horrible. It's horrible. And so, you know, definitely I know I'm going to be sending some money to a couple of organizations that I know that are helping, you know, Black Lives Matter. And I'm going to send some money specifically to the groups um, that are down there on the ground and helping. As a matter of fact, someone tweeted one out Later on today, when I get a chance, I'll retweet it and I'll post it on the wall because there are a few specific Black Lives Matter chapters that are down there, and, you know, they're sending help from other places too. So I just want to make sure that you all are aware of this. And so, you know, usually when I do the show, I'll talk about some things first, just like I just did, but... What I want to do with today's show is this entire show is directed to white Christian America and the choices that they've made. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go along with this. If you go and look on my page, whether it's the Facebook pages or the Twitter pages, I posted an article and it had the hashtag empty the pews. And it was talking about toxic churches. I'm trying to pull it up on my cell phone right now. But um, I had tweeted that out, and I haven't had a chance to really go back. But what I have to say about that is, you know, I find it refreshing that you have some evangelicals out here that are starting to notice and to speak up about the problematic nature of many of the evangelicals and their choice to endorse and uphold Donald Trump and white supremacy. So the name of the article is, I created the hashtag, Empty the Pews, because it's time for evangelicals to walk out of toxic churches. And so I found that apropos, you know, in accordance with what I want to talk about today on the show. And it's so much you know, with the different things that I want to talk about, they're all kind of tied together. So it's a method to the madness, guys. Work with me. Work with me. It's going to make sense. 
something at the end, I'm hoping. You know, it makes sense to me, but not everybody thinks the way that I do. And, again, I'm going to put some information out there. It's not comprehensive. It's not exhaustive. None of that. It's just enough to kind of pique your interest. And that's, you know, the main goal. I want you to go out and read and, you know, and get a better understanding. Talk to people. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't really like engaging folks. Not very much. You know, um, I'm an introvert. Um, As some people would say, you know, a bit reclusive. And, you know, all of those things are true. You know, but I've been forced out of my comfort zone. And so for that, I can thank, you know, certain people, and eventually I will. But, again, work with me. It's an evolution. It's a, it's growth. And so I'm, you know, really proud to say that, you know, I'm a lot better than I was a year ago, a lot better than I was five years ago, you know, and I'm back in the right mindset, got my focus back on. I have one-year, three-year, five-year goals. And so now I'm working towards that, and I'm bringing you all along for the trip, right? So here we go. All right, so, you know, last week on the show, I talked about how some white Christians are saying that, you know, it's unfair and they're crying foul because they feel as though undue pressure and expectations are being thrown upon them in regards to what happened in Charlottesville. And, you know, I talked about how the white Christians in this country, how they have taken, you know, that particular mantle or or, or claiming that they are the moral compass of America. And so why wouldn't we expect you to get out here and to condemn white supremacy? and to condemn Nazism and and to take your pastors and preachers or your favorite televangelists, take them the task about their support of this white supremacist system. You know, that is what you're supposed to do, or so I thought. So I wrote for the show today, I said, please join me as we discuss white Christian America and their role in white supremacy. Does your race and nationalism come before your religious identity? Were you upset when the Southern Baptists decided to decry every form of racism, including alt-right white supremacy, as antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Okay. How many of your friends, family, and colleagues are participating in these white supremacist rallies? Do you agree with their decision to participate? So you challenge their ideology, question mark, right? Are you exercising your faith while silently ignoring the injustices that are being committed in this country? Are you saying Jesus will fix it? Are you saying next lifetime we'll suffer now, but in heaven we'll get our just reward? So these things that I'm hearing, and, you know, finally, are you willing to stand by and allow others to be persecuted? You know, and and, and what's so interesting about this is, you know, um, you have people, you know, white Christians out here that are saying, well, I'm not racist. I'm a non-racist. Being not racist isn't good enough anymore. You got to be anti-racist. You have to be against racism. Not being one is not going to cut it. 
sorry, but not sorry. And the thing is, is that for some of you black Christians out here, how can you sit under a pastor who upholds white supremacy? And when I say that, I'm not even talking specifically or just about the white pastors out here like Paula, Paula White and Jim Baker and Pat Robertson and all of that. I'm talking about the black pastors, too, like this Mark Burns and Daryl Scott and Creflo Dollar and even A.R. Bernard. He left the council, but he still supports President Trump. Let's not get that shit twisted. And there's many more. I mean, I'm pretty sure you all have seen the articles about Joel Osteen losing, you know, allegedly thousands of members because of his softballing on Donald Trump. If you don't know about that, go out there and read some and pay attention to what's going on around you. But see, you have to start holding these pastors and as well as your other Christian brothers and sisters, white, black, red, brown, purple, blue, whatever. You need to start holding them accountable. And you challenge that shit when you hear it and you see it. You can't afford not to do it. I did a show not too long ago, and I talked about it, and, it was, and I think the title was White Supremacy So Wicked That It Got White Folks Nervous. I'm going to do a part two of that because that is what you're seeing. You see, when, when you see a lot of white people out here being extremely defensive, it's because they know this shit is wrong, and they know that they have been quiet for far too long. They've allowed this to happen. They've allowed it to fester, and they've allowed it to, you know, boil over. And what's so interesting is when Sebastian Gorka gave an interview after he resigned or was fired from the White House, um, it stated that he was going back to Breitbart with, you know, Steve Bannon. And, you know, what was so interesting is he said that the Democrats are out here thinking that they're winning, but they're not. He gave some quote from one of the Star Wars movies with Darth Vader and all that other shit. I'm not sure, you know, where he was coming from with that. But the important part is that you all pay attention because, see, these people have an agenda, they have an itinerary, and they have put it in order, and they have started implementing it. This is nothing new. They have been working on this for years. And what's so interesting is that you have had those of us, people of color, out here telling you what was happening because, I mean, it's not as though this was done in secret. All of this shit was done in public. The best way to hide something from someone is to put it in their face because they're not going to see it. And we've been seeing it. We've been saying it. We were called sensitive. Oh, you're being too sensitive. Oh, you're paranoid. Oh, they're not going to do that. Oh, you can't believe him. He's just talking shit. What say you now? And so, like I said, you know, these black and white pastors and evangelists and ministers that are out here upholding Donald Trump, and specifically a word goes out to Paula White, she went up there and she said that white supremacy is a sin, but she also said that Donald Trump was raised for a time such as this and that Donald Trump was mandated by God to be in this position. And for those of us who oppose Donald Trump, we are opposing the hand of God, you know, the, the, the will of God. And so what they do is they take that shit and they twist it up and they get all up in your head and you all don't know what to do because this is what you've been taught. You've been taught to obey. You know, what does that song say? Obedience is better than sacrifice. And see, the thing is, and we're going to have to have a conversation about this, and this goes out to black and white Christians about how you have been gaslighted, how you have been lied to 
how you have been put out here and fed talking points to defend the ways of your pastors, good, bad, or indifferent. And so you've been abused. And many of you do not even recognize the emotional, the psychological abuse that you've endured. In some cases, you've been physically abused. Because for some of these people, it is not beyond them to put their hands on folks. So, you know, when they say the land of the hands, I mean, that can mean a lot of things. But, you know, it, it's, ha- it's happening. It's, it's happened in the past. It's happening now. And it will continue to happen because people, many people are too scared to speak up. And see, you know, the, the, those in leadership don't have to say anything. Why? Because they know they've trained other folks to come out and to shut you down and to shut you up, you know, regarding, you know, what's happening and, and any of your um, dissatisfactions. You know, they want to call you disgruntled, bitter, you know, all of these, you know, wonderful adjectives because you dare to stand up to the bullshit that they're spewing. So, you know, it's important. It's very important for you guys to know that. But, you know, one of the narratives that I see um, happening is, and especially with some progressive and some progressive liberals and some liberals, you know, and, and one thing I do want you all to understand is that when I talk about liberals, I'm not specifically talking about liberal Democrats. You know, you have some liberal Republicans, but I'm talking about people that have a particular liberal ideology. So, you know, I'll do another show talking about that specifically, but I just want you to keep that in mind because it's going to make sense in a minute. So, you know, you have these people out here and you have these people, these liberals that are trying to to um paint Antifa or the anti-fascist as, you know, a parallel to the white supremacists, and that's not true. And then you have people out here that are saying that Antifa is a gift to the Nazis. That's not true. They are not a gift to the Nazis or the white supremacists. That is not true. That is bullshit and that is gibberish because if Antifa was not in place in Charlottesville, that would have been an absolute fucking bloodbath. Now, you know, when you hear these white supremacists come out and they try to justify the violence that they perpetrated on these people, they've been showing a photo of this black man with the blowtorch and saying, see, he's violent. He's violent. Look at what he did. Well, they didn't tell you the rest of it. They were throwing spray cans at that guy. But in addition to that, one of the white supremacists pulled out a gun and was trying to shoot into the crowd, and the police did not move, okay? So, I mean, I would have created a damn blowtorch if someone was trying to shoot my ass too. And so the New York Times exposed this. And let me go to my little links over here so I can tell you the name of the article so that you can go and – Read it for yourself so people won't think that I am making this up. Where is it? You know, um, here it is. I had to wait for it to pop up. So, but yeah, the New York Times, it says, as white nationalists in Charlottesville fired, police never moved. And so that was released a couple of days ago, and the writer of the article is Francis Robles. So I'll post it a little bit later, but they have the video showing that this white supremacist 
you know, tried to fire, and and it was at the black guy, you know, and and the police didn't even move. So again, a lot of a lot of stuff is coming out. A lot of information is being released. You know, there's a lot of documentation behind this. So this is one of the reasons why we say question everything. So you know, there's that there, and you know, it really bothers me when I see people out here. And they're trying to, again, you know, equivocate, you know, the, the protesters or the counter-protesters with the white supremacists, and it just doesn't add up. So, um, yeah, just go out to the New York Times and you'll find some information about that. So, you know, earlier I told you to keep the Nazi thing in mind, and the reason why is because um, at the U.N., there was a resolution, an anti-Nazi resolution, right? And interestingly, the United States voted against the U.N. resolution condemning the glorification of Nazism over free speech issues and concerns, right, that Russia was using it to carry out political attacks against its neighbors. That's a direct quote from the article, and I'm sure you probably want the name of the article. The name of the article is U.S. Votes Against Anti-Nazi Resolution at UN. And this is on CBS News. And so you can go and you can read this for yourself. But what's so interesting is the United States was one of three. The other two were Ukraine and Palau. Now, what's interesting about the Ukraine, and I would tell you guys to go out and look it up, you know, you know Russia supports what's happening in Ukraine, Go up, go and do some research on Ukraine, Nazism, government overthrow, and then that will make sense to you. You know, this is one of the reasons why Donald Trump is kind of doing a hands-off on the Ukraine thing. You all need to know this, and you need to understand why. So the total, um, the resolution was entitled, combating glorification of Nazism, neo-Nazism, and other practices that contribute to fueling contemporary forms of racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance. And it was approved by the UN's Human Rights Committee, you know, this past Friday, 131 in favor, three against, and 48 abstentions, right? And so, um, of course, the U.S. is one of the three saying no, and from what I read, um, basically, Deputy U.S. Representative to the Economic and Social Council, Stephanie Armado, Armadeo, explained the U.S. vote. She said, we condemn without reservation all forms of religious and ethnic intolerance or hatred at home and around the world. However, due to this resolution's overly narrow scope and politicized nature, and because it calls for unacceptable limits on the fundamental freedom of expression, the United States cannot support it. So what does that say to you? You know, and she said the U.S. also disagrees with the resolutions willing to curb freedom of expression, even while sharing its concern about the rise of hate speech around the world. What is that saying to you? I just want I'm just asking questions. I want you to go, and I want you to look, and I want you to read and see where your country stands, the you know, the reasoning given behind that particular no vote. 
So it's important that you understand that. And so, you know, I'm saying that to tie it into this another this next talking point. And so, and I forgot to talk about an article that I posted last week. I'll probably get to that to the end, or I'll find a way to incorporate it into this here. But anyway, uh, what's so interesting is, you know, um, there are people distancing themselves from Donald Trump, even though they are a part of his administration, part of the same political party as himself. And again, you know, white Christians, you're the ones who put him over the top. So I want to know how you feel about these things with the Nazism and the no vote. But this one right here is particularly interesting to me. The Republican National Committee um, actually put forth – okay, I'll, let, me, let me start over. The Republican National Committee denounced white supremacist groups. Yeah, you heard me right. And I think this took place at a convention that they had in Tennessee, right? And so basically it seems like, you know, they're walking around on eggshells. They're trying not to critique or criticize Donald Trump, but the fact that the Republican National Committee resolutely denounced white supremacists or white supremacy or white supremacist groups, let me let me correct that, because denouncing white supremacy is much different than denouncing white supremacist groups. So let me correct myself before I get the inboxes. So they had a meeting in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and, you know, this article is on PBS. The title of this article is RNC Votes to Condemn White Supremacists. So you need to read that, you know, and so, you know, this was one of their resolutions. And it's talking about the Nazis and the KKK and white supremacists and others that they consider repulsive and evil and have no place, you know, in this country or whatever. And it's interesting because the vote was unanimous. Now, that struck me as interesting, but they say, you know, there was some grumbling about it, and some people were saying that it was unnecessary and some people say that, you know, it was showing, you know, they were coming across as being defensive. And, you know, there's no reason for, you know, the RNC to be defensive. But, again, it's your guy, your head guy, Donald Trump, who put you in that position. He forced your hand. He forced the hand of the Republican National Committee to openly denounce these white supremacist groups. And that's important for you guys to understand because it's going to tie into my next point, but go out and um, you can look this up, RNC Votes to Condemn White Supremacists, the author of this article, Thomas Beaumont, and this is on PBS. You know, I think I'll go ahead and post all this stuff later so you all can go and read it on your own, but um, it's important that you know this is happening. And, and you know, it talks about the GOP split. And like I said last week, you have these libertarians, you have these tea partiers. I consider tea partiers and birthers the same way. You have the religious right, the moral majority. You have, you know, these theocrats. They have taken the Republican Party hostage. You know, they've just come in and taken it over. They hijacked the entire Republican Party, and it's the Republicans' fault for allowing that to happen. 
And so it's interesting because, you know, I've stated before on the show, and you all need to understand that, you know, Donald Trump is good for business. The GOP is getting, you know, shitloads of donations. Same thing with the Democrats, the DNC. They are generating so much income, so much money and donations because of Donald Trump. And the same thing with the mainstream media. So you all need to take all of that into consideration when you start trying to argue your points regarding what's happening and why you think Donald Trump was right or why you think Donald Trump was wrong. You know, it's all playing together. But what's so interesting about this is, you know, I read this article after I read that um, interview that they had with Steve Bannon. And Steve Bannon, you know, was out there and, you know, he made his comments about the white supremacist groups, called them clowns and all of that. But one thing that he pointed out, and this is true, and I want to make sure that this does not go over your head. What's happening with the Republicans as far as, like, Donald Trump and and what he's doing? Black and brown, red and yellow people. I want you to think, and you know, including poor white people. I want you to think about this, and I want you to think about it hard. The RNC just condemned white supremacist groups. You have individual Democratic leaders out here. You know, is the DNC going to make this type of resolution? And I'm talking about a new one now. And they may have. I just may have missed it because I have not been looking for a lot of this shit. You know, but what I'm saying is what Steve Bannon said in his interview, some of the shit he said made perfect sense. Basically, what he's telling you guys and what he's telling America and and people of color is that the Democrats and the liberals are failing the black and brown communities. I know you're sitting at home like, oh, shit, Kim, you said all that to say this. We already know this. We've been saying it, and we've been talking about this for ages. Yeah, that's true. But what Donald Trump and his alkalites are doing is forcing Democrats and forcing liberals to defend and to show up and to do what needs to be done for marginalized communities, and they're failing to do it, failing to speak up for these marginalized communities. They are failing to put forth any bills or any legislation. They are failing to even just fucking show up to the damn prayer vigils or to the, you know, to the protest. They are failing the black and brown communities. Every time they sit back and they allow something like this to happen, you need to think about that shit. And what's interesting is that the Republicans and, you know, Trump and Bannon, they're doing all of this stuff deliberately. And some of this is being done to basically, you know, rub, you know, black and brown people's noses in this shit. That, you know, it's a white man's world and ain't shit we can do about it at this point in time other than to wait for them to die. So that's important. I want to make sure that that's not lost on you, 
that it's not lost on you that this shit is being done deliberately and that your white liberal friends and allies and all of them, they're failing you. Because, again, not being racist isn't enough. Being anti-racist, you know, that's where we are right now. And, you know, unfortunately you have a lot of these liberals, and this is why you hear us talking about these liberals and these progressives the way we do. You know, um, again, with some of these people, if you don't do as they tell you to do and do what they tell you to do, they will drop you like a hot potato. It's about control. And at the end of the day, with some of these people, yeah, they'll uplift you right now, but they're going to throw you under the bus later when it's, you know, when, when it's um, expedient for them to get whatever it is that they want. Because trust and believe with many of these people, yeah, they'll give you something now, but that's because they know in turn they're going to get something bigger later on down the line. So, you know, what's interesting is um, there was an article, and I'm going to post this later, but I'll tell you the name of this article, White Liberals Still Don't Understand White Supremacy. And again, white liberals still don't understand white supremacy, and this was written by Laura Witt, and this was a couple of weeks ago, almost two weeks ago. And, you know, I mean, this right here, this article, I didn't post it. I probably I should have posted it, but I will today. But it's talking about, you know, what happened in Seville, and it's talking about how you hear a lot of these white folks um, running around saying, well, that's not our America. That's not how we do things and, and, and all of this. And so, you know, one of the sentences, one of the things that she states in this article is there is nothing more American than unfiltered white rage and white supremacy. And that is true. And you can see that basically if you pay attention to what's been going on, the monies that were once allocated for the Department of Justice to oversee and monitor these white supremacist groups, that money has been reallocated to focus on Muslims and, and, and Mexicans. Let's just call it for what it is, you know, and, and that's what's happening there. And then you hear the apologetics coming from, you know, Trump and his ilk. And so when I hear people saying that, you know, especially to black and brown, red and yellow people, you know, it just it makes my skin crawl because this is the America we know. And when I see non-black people of color saying that, I just look at them because I'm trying to figure out, you know, which rabbit hole have you been sleeping in? You know, it's like you must have hibernated. What the fuck is going on with you? Because this has always happened. And so, you know, this is a really, really good piece. And she talks about a number of things. And, um, you know, she was talking about what happened on November 8th, 2016. If you all don't remember what happened that day, that's when Trump was elected. You know, and you know she she incorporates it with the article and 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 what happened down in Charlottesville and talks about the ideology of white supremacy and why we're still having a hard time understanding that in this country. And the thing is, is that it's white people who have a hard time understanding 
what exactly racism is and what exactly white supremacy is. And the reason for that is because they don't have to think about these things. And so that's why I get to looking at these Christians because they will come out and say being a racist and racism is a sin. But yet they continue on to enjoy the perks of white supremacy, which is why it was an outright battle at the Southern Baptist Convention when they denounced white supremacy. I mean, it had people breaking off and all of that. And then some of the things that you will hear from people, they'll say, well, you know, why do you talk about it? Racism was almost gone, and you keep talking about it, and you elected that Obama is because of him and his fault and the Black Lives Matter. No, this has always been here. You know, and, and it goes back to um, it goes back to people wanting you, if you're going to be racist, they want you to be polite about it. You know, that polite racism. I posted an article on that, and and you see a lot of that, you know, and, and it's happening. And so, you know, you have white Americans out here trying to oversimplify racism and white supremacy, and, and their excuses are very superficial, you know, very esoteric, right? And and they feel as though if they say something about it, and, you know, that will just end it and, you know, just ignore the statues, just ignore the history. That's not who we are now. You know, never mind the 400-year head start we got. You know, and what's interesting is these are some of the same people, you know, these white Americans just across the spectrum. You know, they whitewash history. You know, and and while they're whitewashing the history, they don't realize that they are now displaying a textbook example of white supremacy because what they're saying to you is that their feelings are more important than the lived experiences of me and other people out there like me. So your feelings are more important than my lived reality, than my lived experiences, than what I'm dealing with. That's textbook example of white supremacy. And you see a lot of that, you know. And while I'm pointing specifically today to the white Christian community, you know, the same thing applies over here to this white secular community. And I'm going I'm, I'm to address that. I'm on my way, you know, when you have these folks over here playing these with, you know, white supremacists and and trying to uphold the bell curve and, 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 you know, talk shit about identity politics, not realizing that what they're doing is identity politics. You know, they want to promote atheism and secularism Oh, no, the blacks shouldn't be out here protesting. You know, the brown people, well, just get on the bus and go over there and just go through the process to get back over here. It's just easier that way. And this is what I was talking about, about white people not wanting to come out of their comfort zone, not wanting to be uncomfortable for even a minute. And this is why you hear me talking about these liberals and these progressives specifically, specifically when it comes to race relations and sexism 
and, you know, the homophobia, all of that in this country. See, the thing is, is that they don't want you to shake the boat. You know, don't topple the boat. Don't rock the boat. Don't do that. And so this is why they endorse, you know, doing things incrementally, making these small steps, because then, you know, people will get a chance to adjust. People will get a chance to, you know, kind of um, just look and ignore and move on. But, see, it's these incremental changes, you know, it's insignificant because what happens is with many of these changes that are done incrementally in these small batches, on the other hand, they're taking those, you know, they're taking back more than what they gave us, which is why we are in a worse state now than our grandparents were in this country. And I'm talking about people of color. And so that's why, you know, I actually I really should do a show talking about specifically about liberalisms and progressives and and why they have been detrimental to many of the movements that have taken place by people of color in this country. You know, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that, number one, they're not going to give up their privilege, and number two, they don't want to get out here and be inconvenienced and, you know, the thing is, is that I know I posted an article, and I'll get to that in a minute, but in that article, she stated specifically, oh, that was the one I did post about the politeness. She specifically stated that if you are not ready, willing, and able to put your white body between me and a Nazi or a white supremacist or the police officer, how can you call yourself an ally? And there's a lot of truth in that. And so... You know, again, you know, I'll give you a couple of other examples of white Americans, you know, whitewashing the lived experiences of people of color. When Heather Heyer, you know, lost her life, and again, my condolences to her family and friends, you know, you had white women out here using the hashtag say her name. And me and others found that quite problematic because when we started that hashtag, say her name was Sandra Bland and, you know, Ayanna Jones and, you know, a number of other, you know, black women and women of color that have been um, killed by state-sanctioned, you know, violence. We had white people, white women, say, oh, that's stupid, and not a lie, and that makes no sense. But now you're trying to co-opt it and whitewash it. And when you whitewash, you know, when you whitewash those terms, what you're doing is you're telling me that my lived experience isn't important, that it was just bullshit. You already tell us you don't believe us. Even when we come with video, you don't believe it. Oh, she must have said something. She must have did something. You know, he told her to put the cigarette out. It's bullshit. And so, you know, and and you have these white Americans that, you know, factor out the oppression. They factor out the blood. They factor out the sweat and the tears, you know, that, that created just the language. Because, see, that's been a problem to a certain extent, too, finding the right language to express yourself, the right language to identify 
you know, that pain, that hurt, that loss. And sometimes you don't have the words. You know, in some cases there there is no word invented that can express the grief, the depression, you know, all of those things that go along with that. And then to have a group of people tell you that you're bullshitting, that it's really not that bad, that you're being overly sensitive, come on. You know, and so article, because it's actually really, really good. And right here, one part, I'll quote this part. It says, white people are simultaneously fascinated by slavery-era history and deeply scared of admitting how much they still benefit from generational wealth and privilege from as far back as 400 years ago. You know, and that's part of the problem, is getting them to admit their white privilege and then admitting what, you know, the white supremacy as far as the systemic and institutional advantages they have been given from the very beginning. And this is one of the reasons why you see these different groups wanting to be included as part of the white Venn diagram. Um, And so now you have, you know, Latinos or Hispanics um, being admitted into the white Venn diagram and, you know, that creates a whole different dynamic. And what's interesting is a lot of these people don't even know their own history. But we'll get back to that. And so um, take a look. I want you to go back and take a look at all of these things. And, you know, white Christians, you should be the first ones out here, you know, talking about, you know, white supremacy and how you have benefited from it because you have. Because, you know, whether you want to admit it or not, but the Bible was used as a weapon and used as, you know, um, not only as a weapon but a guidebook in enslaving people and telling them they better be damn happy and act happy being enslaved be happy and being oppressed. It could be worse, right? And so it's just, it's, it's important that you guys, you know, we've talked about these things, you know, and and it's unfortunate, but you have to kind of rope-a-dope white people into these conversations. So I remember I did a show talking about affirmative action. It was a highly rated show. I got a lot of hits on that one. And the thing is, is that, you know, I had to okie-doke people into that. For the reason they thought I was going to come in and talk about affirmative action and and EEO and black people and why it's needed, but I talked about when affirmative action was white. You know, that's a book by Ira Katz Nelson that I recommend to everyone to read because if you go back to the New Deal and you see what was put in place, it was put in place for white people particularly white women. This is why you hear a lot of black and brown people saying that white women benefit more from affirmative action than black people or brown people, and it's the truth. You know, um, you know, some blacks weren't even allowed to collect Social Security or, or, or food stamps or public aid or anything until the 60s. That wasn't that long ago. And so what you're seeing now with this white nationalism in this country, a lot of this started gaining traction 
in the 60s and 70s, you know, during the civil rights and the black power movement. And so, you know, just in case you didn't know this, and I don't even know why I should have to say this, but a lot of this white rage and white resentment that we're seeing, it's due to the fact that, you know, the living conditions of black and brown people improved. Not by a lot, just by a little bit, but that little bit that they had to give up to help other cultural groups, they don't like that. You know, you're taking away from their comfort. And so, you know, um, look it up. You know, and especially when you're talking about non-white people and citizenship in this country, there are a lot of barriers. And, you know, they didn't let up until about 1952, 53, you know. And, um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to post an article um, from Harper's Bazaar. And the title is White Liberals' Response to White Supremacy. And I don't know if I gave you the title earlier. If I didn't, my apologies. Yeah, Laura Witt. So, yeah. So I did tell you guys about that. But you want, you want to go and you want to check that out. You definitely want to check that out. Um, there's a hell of a lot more that's going on. But, you know, again, white Christians, where are you? You should be the ones at the front of the line. And so what's so interesting about some of this is that some Christians, you know, they just kind of want to be passive, you know, and passively reject racism. And what good does that do when the person next to you in the pew or your spouse, or your parents, or your neighbors, when 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 they want to strip, you know, people of color, or you know, or LGBTQ people, or you know, um, disabled folks, when they want to strip them of their you know humanity, of their dignity, how can you sit there and feel comfortable and allow it to happen? especially when you say you object to racism and you're against it and that it's a moral choice for you, that it's a moral rejection, but you still allowed it to be tolerated in society. And so, like I said, it's extremely important that you guys go back, but, you know, black and brown, red and yellow communities, these Democrats, these liberals, these progressives, they're failing you because they may be out there saying, oh, that's, you know, uncalled for, you know, we condemn white supremacy. Where are the policies? Where are the laws? If the RNC is, you know, adapting, you know, a resolution to condemn white supremacist groups, there is no way in hell you all can't write policies and laws and get it pushed right now. And it doesn't matter if the governor or the president, you know, vetoes it or pocket vetoes it. They can do the same. They can override that shit. And so it's just, it's been really eye-opening 
you know, and again, I've seen a lot of Christians out here being extremely defensive about this, but you're the one who says, you know, that you all have control and that you set the moral compass for this country. And now you're being told to show us and to do it, you know, and and now you're having a problem with that. So, you know, there's an article written in the L.A. Times, and in this article is entitled, Are Evangelicals Today More Devoted to Trump and the Republicans Than the Gospel? And it was written by Randall Balmer. And let me scroll to the bottom here. I'm sorry. It's not written by Randall Balmer. I'm sorry. It was written by Mark Laverton, and he's the president of the Fuller Theological Seminary. And so, you know, it's a very straightforward, short article, but, you know, um, he's here, and I'll quote him. There are white people in America who call themselves evangelical yet demonstrate complicity with white with a white supremacy that scandalizes the gospel, and there are other white evangelicals in America who categorically and publicly disagree. And so this was based on um, something that, you know, Robert – Randall Balmer had written. And so, um, you know, he talks here about Balmer saying that many evangelical leaders have been decrying for years and what this election made apparent, that culture sometimes overshadowed the gospel in determining the evangelical political vision. Evangelicalism is a movement dedicated to the primacy of faith in the way of Jesus, so this confusion of priorities is a crisis. And we've talked about this. And, you know, a lot of people think that the religious right and the moral majority came about because of Roe versus Wade. It was interesting that a lot of Christians do not understand the history of their own religion. And I encourage you to go out there and look at it and pay attention and do some reading because this is only going to get worse. And you're only going to be called out even more. And so what's happened now is because of the way that, you know, the gospel and, you know, the word, you know, you know, evangelical, you know, your image, you know, is coming across now as, you know, being even more racist than we thought. And and especially when we start hearing things like, you know, if you don't support the president, you're going against, you know, the will of God, against the hand of God, against the word of God, because God would not have allowed Trump to be elected if this were, were not his time. And what's so interesting is some of these same preachers didn't have a thing to say about when they were hanging effigies of Obama, Right. And and when they were outright, you know, attacking black and brown people. And, you know, it's just it's absolutely amazing, you know, the things that got a pass that they were silent on. And so I don't know if I talked about this on the last show, but I'm going to post this article too. But the title here is, After Charlottesville, White Pastors Are Asking, Are We Complicit? And this was written by Tara Isabella Burton. Yes, you are complicit. Yes. 
you know, and it's interesting because now they're, you know, they're using the word Satanism in regards to white supremacy, you know, and so right here the byline is across America some white pastors are confronting both the Satanism of white supremacy in their own silence. And see, it's that silence right there. That silence makes you complicit. And what I don't understand is for those of you that have people of color in your congregation, I'm talking to white pastors now, how? How can you sit there and endorse this and watch what's happening and then turn around and tell your, you know, you're your member of color that you love them and that you're doing what's best for them? And this is what God wanted. This is what God mandated. And black people, how can you sit under a white pastor that's out here supporting this shit? How can you sit under a black pastor? You know, let's just be fair across the board. Because, again, again, you have people out here that want white supremacy and white faith, and some of them want white supremacy and black faith. Same shit. And you need to be asking yourself, what does your pastor stand to gain from this? Now, we talked about the faith-based initiatives. We talked about those monies and why many of them stood behind George W. Bush as well as Barack Obama because of the faith-based initiative. These are monies that come from the federal government that are pushed down to 501c3, these churches, Right? And what's interesting is is that secular groups, you know, do not have access to those faith-based initiatives for the most part, okay? And so what's interesting now is what they're trying to do, what the Trump administration is trying to do. Now, I've said this the last three or four shows, and there may be some people out there like, she don't talk about the Johnson Amendment. Damn, girl, how many times are you going to talk about it? I'm going to talk about it for as long as I have to to get it through your head. Because some of you that are out there, you know, you're like, yeah, I know about that, I read, blah, blah, blah. You know, a week from now you may have a conversation with someone. They may bring up the Johnson Amendment, and you'll say, I know what that is. I just can't remember what was in conjunction. This is why I repeat these things. And also there are new listeners that may not understand. So for those that are not aware of the Johnson Amendment, the Johnson Amendment was an amendment put in place um, via President Johnson, and basically it restricts what a pastor can say in the pulpit. So they can't endorse, nor can they condemn, you know, um, political candidates, especially if they're running for an office, you know, but it also applies to the ones that are in office. So I want that understood too. And so what the Trump administration is trying to do is abolish the Johnson Amendment as well as allow campaign money to flow in through these churches, you know, like a political action committee, and then allow the churches to give the money to whoever they want to give the money to. That is dangerous. Church is a business. And you all need to understand that. You need to understand what's happening here because, again, You know, it's unfortunate, but there's way too many Christians out here. And, you know, I know some of you are like, well, what about the Muslims? Honestly, I don't know enough about those particular religions to comfortably sit here 
and make the same statement I'm about to make. So if it applies, great. If it doesn't apply, all right, you know, move on, right? But church in and of itself is a business. And so I want to know, and I really, 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 truly want to know how you can sit under that pastor who continuously tell you that you are poor because you have sinned or because you don't have enough faith. And what's interesting is is that that's not only just through the church. You know, this is happening politically too, you know, which is one of the reasons why, you know, Donald Trump was elected because, unfortunately, in, in many instances, wealth means you're right. You're doing what's right. Poverty means you're doing what's wrong and you're sinning. And that's why when Donald Trump was running for office, and I remember specifically saying on the show, I talked about Donald Trump's, you know, prosperity gospel, his word of faith. He's using the same arguments, the same type of psychological babble, if you will, or psychological Jedi mind tricks to basically victimize people who are impoverished, you know, telling them that it's their fault that they're poor, that they can't stand up and walk out of that wheelchair, all just a number of things. And it's extremely abusive. It's very abusive. But this is what's happening in this country. And unfortunately, the point I was trying to get to, unfortunately, you have too many people, you know, whether they're poor or working class or middle class, you have too many people that fall within those particular groups of people trying to identify with these wealthy folks, with these billionaires and multimillionaires. You know, you're trying to identify with them, and you really can't. And I'll hear arguments from people, well, no, I think I need to go on and vote for the Republican because when God gives me my million or billion dollars and makes me rich, I don't want to pay all those taxes either. And I hate to pop your bubble again, but I will. 99.9% of you will never have that kind of money. Never. And unfortunately, for some of you that will get it, you're going to lose it because you don't know what to do with it. You know, the first thing you need to do is get a financial planner, but what do I know? So anyway, um, you know, you have too many impoverished people trying to identify with these wealthy people. These are two different worlds, and you can't think like that. Well, you can. You can think any way you want. However, this is one of the reasons why there has been really no progress, but this is also one of the ways that they keep you entrapped. They keep you enslaved. And so, you know, you don't have to listen. I get it, you know, but I would challenge you to go and look it up and see. Look it up, you know, because, I mean, you say you're a Christian and you see what's happening with all of this, you know, with the white supremacy and taking away people's health care, you know, trying to deport all the Muslims and all the, you know, Latinos, 
You know, and, and the thing is is that for those of you like, oh, they're just going after the undocumented people and they shouldn't be here anyway. They're going after documented people too. Just in case you missed the news this weekend, go and take a look to see what they're doing to DACA. So right now, you know, they're not sure if Trump is going to just totally abolish it or if he's going to allow it to expire. But either way it goes, you're going to have millions of people whose dreams and, and who have worked really hard to try to get their citizenship in this country taken away. And even with some of the documented immigrants in this country, they're trying to find ways to kick them out too. And the thing is, is that, you know, on one of the shows today, one of the talking heads was talking about um, Steve Bannon and, you know, um, Bastion Gorka and all of those white supremacists or white nationalists or economic nationalists. That's their new name. And, oh, yeah, don't let them fool you. You have a lot of the alt-writers changing their names too. You know, like Raina said, alt-light, you know, and Western chauvinists and, you know, um, you know, super right conservative or right conservative. They're trying to pivot. And you need to be aware of what's happening. But with all of this is as it's happening, white Christians, why aren't you saying anything? What was your sermon about last Sunday? What about the Sunday before that? What about this some Sunday today? You know, and so um <laughs> It's just interesting, you know, when we talk about these things and, you know, people get upset, but you need to go back out and you need to take a look because, you know, you want to say that you all set the moral compass by saying nothing. Again, you're giving, you know, you're complicit and you're tacitly agreeing with these white supremacists. And so that's why, you know, I need to do some more research about Empty the Pews, that particular hashtag in that, you know, that particular movement. But what I will say to those of you that are, you know, church parishioners, you really are the ones that control the church. You control what the pastor preaches and says. And, you know, I know some of you are like, well, what are you talking about? God gave him the vision, and, you know, we're to follow him. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. No, withhold your money. Still go up every Sunday, suck up all the air conditioning, whatever, right, if you want to. Or don't show up at all. You know, watch for free on the Internet like a lot of other folks do. You know, you got that going on. But you all need to start applying pressure to these pastors and these ministers and these evangelists and these teachers and these missionaries and whatever you want to call yourself, the psalmist, whatever. You need to start applying pressure to them because, you know, if there's a quorum or a majority of the church telling a pastor, we don't like this and we think this needs to be addressed, Either they'll do it or they won't, but if they won't, you need to walk. Stop giving your money until God gives them a new revelation, you know, because, I mean, what's happening in this country and especially in black and brown communities, you know, 
you got the heroin, you had crack, you got HIV and AIDS. You know, there's a new form of syphilis coming around that's around that's out here now that's resistant to, you know, a lot of the, you know, um, inoculations, a lot of the medications out there that they have for the cure. But, yeah, you know, it has to change. And, you know, people in this country like to say that this is a, you know, Christian nation and that it was founded upon the, the principles of Christianity. And that's not true. And, you know, I'm not trying to have that debate right now, but it's not true. And then you'll have someone say, well, why does it say in God we trust on the money? And why is the pledge, you know, to God, right? And I said, all you got to do is go back and start reading about what happened in the 50s and the 60s with the McCarthyism and the Red Scare and the communism. And so all of that is tied together. And even if you go back and you look at the Christians then, you would hear them making excuses like, well, it wasn't meant for the races to mix. You know, blacks should have their own church and we should have ours. And this is not new. None of this. And as I've stated before, they have studied us all the way down to our toenails. They know how we're going to respond. And we need to respond differently and we need to know what our demands are. And unfortunately, you know, when you get in situations like that, you know, it turns into a power struggle because there are always going to be people who want to come in and take over and who want to think that they have, you know, the better answers. However, with a lot of these liberals, you know, they say, oh, we know, but, you know, we just got to take it with time. Slow up. Why are you in a hurry? Who what, Who wouldn't want to be in a hurry to be liberated and to be free? You know, and I just don't understand. I don't. I don't understand how you can sit back and just allow these things to happen. You know, you see what happened in Charlottesville. You saw what happened down in Sanford, Florida with Trayvon. You saw what happened to Mike Brown in Ferguson, you know, Sandra Bland in Texas. You know, and a number of other examples. And, you know, I don't want to leave the indigenous people out because in all actuality, they're being murdered at five times the rate of black and brown people. And so that's why I always try to incorporate that into the conversation. But there's another part of the conversation in regards to indigenous people that, you know, hasn't been talked about very much. And it's some of the racism that come from indigenous people geared toward black and brown people. And so that's a whole conversation by itself that I'm not trying to get into today. But, you know, I don't understand how Christians can say it's a sin and then turn a blind eye to it. And the thing with, you know, Sebastian Gorka and, and Steve Bannon and Steve Miller and Cora Lewandowski, um, um, and a number of other folks, you know, Milo, Yiannopoulos, and 
you know, you get this anti-Semitical message that goes with that. And I guess that's why sometimes I'm looking at Donald Trump and I'm like, your son-in-law is Jewish and your daughter converted. How, you know, I just don't understand. Is that why Jared and Ivanka are always on vacation? Because of the infighting between them and your economic nationalists? And I need for you guys to get a better understanding of economic nationalists. These are, when they say that, I mean, it means a number of different things. But one of the things that they're trying to do as far as whitewashing important, you know, um, dialogue, you know, that needs to take place with factoring them out is because of the fact that these are some of the same people that are out here saying that there is no such thing as wealth inequality. And these are some of the same people who are trying to say that black and brown, red, yellow people are inferior, but specifically black people. So you got that anti-blackness trope or narrative going there, right? And so what they're doing and what they're trying to do is by saying that there is no such thing as wealth inequality and, you know, and, and they're trying to downplay identity politics and they're trying to say that, you know, black and brown people, particularly black people, standing up for themselves and saying, no, we are not satisfied with the status quo. No, we are not satisfied with being crumbed, giving crumbs off the table and being dismissed and being ignored as though we were invisible. What they're doing is they're trying to place all of the blame of the ills of the black community at our feet in a state that is genetic. Therefore, that absolves them of benefiting from all of the privileges that have, been, that have been put in place, you know, both um, financially and psychologically, you know, they they do not want to face the fact that it was put in place to benefit whites. Institutional and systemic, you know, racism that we're talking about when we're talking about white supremacy. And then you have all of these, you know, white men. So, again, you got patriarchy in there. And then you have capitalism because the, the economy that America benefits from, this was built on slavery, you know, the slavery economy. And it's still the same way. You know, go back. Watch that documentary by Ava DuVernay, 13th. And it talks about the 13th Amendment. And for you to really get a better understanding of what's happening and how, you know, you know, it's still slavery, but they're calling it by another name, right? Go back and read that. Go back and read, you know, Michelle Alexander's book. It was an excellent book. You know, go back and, you know, get an understanding of these things because then some of this will start to make sense to you. For others, not so much. And I get that. I just encourage you to continue to read, continue to try to expand your horizon, continue to push yourself out of your comfort zones and to get a better understanding of the world, you know, around you. Because you got too many people out here that are just kind of, you know, caught up in this reverie 
this romanticism of America and especially, you know, America in the 17, 1800s, you know, you know, they want to take the country back to those times. And nothing good is going to come of that. Trust me, you don't have too many black people that want to volunteer to go back to those times. But you need to understand what's happening. You need to understand, you know, about the prison, well, the school to prison pipeline. You need to understand about the prison industrial complex and, you know, the privatization of these prisons. And even many of them are on the stock market. They're making money from this. And that will, you know, give you a better understanding. And white Christians, you know, you should be some of the first ones out here, you know, protesting. You know, you have students that are out here protesting and forcing their universities to divest from the, you know, the the, the prison industrial complex, investing money in that. You know, for those of you that are out here like, well, what can I do? Well, if you have mutual funds, you need to go and look in that portfolio. You need to see what, you know, you're invested in personally. You can get out here. You can – there are a number of things that you can do, but you need to understand it as well. And, you know, it's just – it's really amazing to me because I have people that want to argue and say, well, that never happened. You made that up. And then they go and look it up, and they were like, oh, that did happen. Well, we didn't know about it, so, you know, we have an excuse. Not really. You see how people of color are being treated in this country. You know it's wrong. You go back and you'll talk to a few of your friends about it, and then you move on. Some of you say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, what not to do is to condemn the black and brown, red, yellow, and people that are out here protesting against it. You need to show up. You need to be there with them. You need to put pressure on your politicians. You need to stand up and say, no, this is wrong, and we're not going to support it, and we're not going to be quiet about it anymore either. You know, because, you know, a lot of what you're seeing as far as, you know, the oppression and the poverty and, you know, the depression and a number of things in many communities of color, you know, these are manifestations of what has been inflicted on our communities. And this is why you see people giving up. This is why you see some people saying, oh, the hell with it. You know, what can I do? You know, I'm just one person. Yeah, but you're one person, you know, you can make a difference. And so, yeah, so anyway, there's a lot going on. I posted an article on my on my page on Facebook as well as on Twitter, and it has a picture of Audrey Lord on it, and I'm looking for the article here. And, you know, it's talking about ah, intersectionality. And it was talking about how intersectionality has been colonized. And we've talked about that on this show. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this article, just go and read it. It's actually very, it's a very good article. And it talks about how white, some white people, particularly white feminists, 
that have taken the word intersectionality and turned it into a buzzword and not really fully understand what it means. And so, you know, interestingly, in addition to that, you know, we've seen a lot of these same white feminists come and try to co-opt and take over the social justice movements. It's amazing. I mean, I've been talking about this shit for years. So, you know, this shouldn't be anything new for those of you out there that are longtime listeners of the show. But, you know, this is why you have people like me who are like, hell no, I don't want to come and talk to you about no damn racism because you're not trying to, you know, you're not trying to affect any real change. You know, you're just trying to take the information and the words that we speak and capitalize off of it. And it's not just white feminists that do it. You know, you got black and brown, red, yellow people that are doing the same thing. Got a lot of opportunists out here. And, you know, this is why, you know, it's it's become a problem. It's become a public fight, if you will. And so in that article, when it talks about intersectionality and how it's been colonized, Pay attention to this area when they're talking about racial liberalism and they're speaking specifically about Charles Mills and Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, Pay attention to that because Charles Mills wrote a book about, you know, the racial contract. Again, we talked about it, social contracts, but you need to understand what that is. I want you to go out and do some reading. If you don't have the book, pick it up. It's an excellent book. I haven't gotten through the whole book, you know, but I've read, you know, bits and pieces here and there. And it's actually a really good book uh, for Kimberly Crenshaw, Critical Race Theory. Pick that up. You'll get a better understanding of intersectionality. And, and again, with this, it challenges, you know, systemic institutional racism, you know, the structure of our particular um, um, society, of our country, and you'll get a better understanding of it. It's important that you all understand this, that you all understand what people are talking about when you – because, I mean, for those of you that are out here, I'm pretty sure you've been called um, um, what the regressive left You've been called a corporatist shill. You've been called, you know, social justice warrior and a number of other pejoratives. Read this article and read some of the books that they recommend, and you'll understand where this is coming from, and you'll get a better understanding as to who uses that particular type of terminology and why they use it. And it's, under, it's, it's important that you understand the whens, the whys, and the who's, but also what what they benefit from, you know, um, perpetuating that type of message, you know. And then also, you know, I just picked up a book um, by Ira Katz Nelson. Well, actually, it's in the mail. It's on its way to me. And it's talking about liberalism, And it talks about how liberals in this country are just as complicit in in some regards to some of these white supremacists. And it talks about how and why. So I can't wait 
until I get that book, but um, it's, 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 it's important. It's very important that you guys understand this. Just because they're Democrats, just because they call themselves a liberal or progressive, just because they call themselves moderate Republicans or moderate conservatives, that does not mean that they understand racism, that they understand white supremacy. You know, but it also doesn't excuse them because they understand a lot more than what they say they understand. You got to remember some of these people feign ignorance just because they don't want to have that conversation. And so when I say some of the ones out here don't understand it, you know, I'm talking about people like Lady Gaga and some other, you know, celebrities out there trying to say this is not the America, you know, we know. This is not us. Yeah, the hell it is. And you just need to face the facts. And so it's just the whole thing is is just overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And so, um, again, as I said earlier, you know, I want black and brown communities to really think about this and think about it in this current context. You know, are the Democrats and these liberals and these progressives, are they helping you or are they failing us? And I want you to look at it from the perspective of what happened in Charlottesville. So for those of you who have not been paying attention, it's going to be a a 10-day march starting in Charlottesville to D.C. And so... um, Reverend Barber um, has put that together, and they have a lot of um, live streaming happening today. So you may want to go and find Dr. Barber's um, Facebook profile or his Twitter account because they're having these different dialogues. They have the different panels up there. Learn, listen, learn. They're talking about white supremacy. They're talking about this movement that's happening in this country. They're talking about racism and and how it's been allowed to fester in this country because it never went away. It never went away. And so this is why you have some people out here saying that we need to make races, you know, afraid again. But, um, you know, the whole thing um, is very distressing is depressing. You know, I've had to pull myself away from the news channel. You know, Raina and I had a conversation this morning and, um, you know, talking about this and talking about other issues, you know, anger and letting go. And, you know, what was interesting is I talked to her right after the show last week. It was a little bit afterwards. But I had read this article and I posted it on my wall. The title of the article is Have Black Historians Been Wrong All Along, right? And it was written by Donald Earl Collins. And again, his name is Donald Earl Collins, and he's an associate professor of history at the University of Maryland, um, University College, right? So in this article, he references, you know, a number of people, you know, in the community. He talks about Black Lives Matter, he talks about, you know, what these white supremacists have been able to get away with. He referenced Nell Painter and her book that she wrote, um, I think it's called White Rage. And 
you know, and basically, you know, after I read this article, I kind of came down a little bit, got a little depressed. It was interesting because that's when Raina called me back and we were talking about it. And, you know, one of the things that I try to do, I try to be optimistic about as much as possible. But after reading things like this, you know, it's hard not to take, you know, a dystopian or have a dystopian perspective on these things because what he says in this article is it's, it's a lot of truth to it. And so in this article, you know, um, he talks about, oh, I'm sorry, not Nail Painter, my fault. He was talking about Carol Anderson in her book, White Rage, 2016. Got the authors mixed up. My apologies there. And so, you know, he talks about her book, and I'll read this quote. She explained that in 150 years since emancipation, the trigger for white rage inevitably is black advancement, end quote, leading to racist back, backlashes in both policy and in everyday dealings with white folk. Another quote, the truth is white rage has undermined democracy, warped the Constitution, and squandered billions on baseless incarceration. So that came from Carol Anderson in her book, White Rage. And so, you know, you know, he said he's guilty of the same thing. But let me tell you what they say that they're guilty of. Basically, it goes back to that hope, to that faith. And so the reason why I got a little depressed behind it after reading it is because I know that I'm guilty of that too. And, you know, in in this article, you know, he was talking about a number of things, but he specifically um, was talking about another author, and I'm looking for her name because it's Maria... Maria McCorder, and he said he had a conversation with her. She's a, a D.C. public historian, and basically she said that he, like other historians, have been too deeply ensconced in the American dream and have cared too much about individual progress and not enough about white supremacy, capitalism, and patriarchy. Now, I know those are three things that we talk about quite a bit on this show, white supremacy, capitalism, and patriarchy. But going back to, you know, you know, having this faith and having this hope and hoping for the best and having faith that things will get better, you know, there's a lot of that in my talks and, and, and when I talk about, you know, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and saying that it's going to be okay, we got to do things differently, should be a different outcome. A lot of that is based on hope and faith, you know. And so, you know, when, when you kind of see that and it's thrown in your face like that, that's a really bitter pill. And I know some of you are like, why? Because time and time again, we have been proven wrong. And so does a time ever come when you have to put that hope and that faith to the side and deal with the reality? And many of us have, and it's depressing as fuck. And so, you know, it's just, it can be a mind fuck, right? 
you know, looking at this and, and knowing all of the hard work that you see other people putting in, the hard work that you're putting in, and, you know, you're like, okay, we're making progress. We got to attack that. We got to dismantle this. We got to deconstruct that. Oh, we're making a way. Yay. We, you know, they gave us this. But in the meantime, you know, the five things they gave you, they took 15 other things away in the background quietly because no one was paying attention because everybody is too busy out here celebrating and like, yay, you know. And so, you know, when I read this, it's like it's just, you know, sometimes it makes you wonder, you know, should we just give up? We can't afford to give up, especially if you got little people and you're looking down at those itty-bitty eyes and, you know, and you want a better future for them, you know, not just yours, but other people's too, right? And so, you know, in this article, you know, he talks about how he and other historians have done very little to give people a glimpse of the only possible future. I'll read it. And he says, and she's correct, I and many others have done little to give readers a glimpse of the only possible future, one without the happy ending of social justice and racial equality achieved. If one wants the racial divide to close along cultural, educational, and other lines, then one needs to acknowledge cultural differences based on the experiences of people of color. I wrote at the end of my first book, Fear of a Black America, What a Pipe Dream. White supremacists certainly acknowledged racial differences and centuries ago decided blacks aren't worth embracing or even tolerating. And he goes on to say, I should have known better. Years of reading critical race theorists such as Kimberly Crenshaw, Patricia J. Williams, and the late Derrick Bell had taught me about the intractability of American racism. Bell pulled no punches in Faces at the Bottom of the Well in 1992 when he wrote, racism is an integral, permanent, and indestructible component of this society. And so he goes on to say, this is a really, really good article, guys. You really want to read it. This is the one you bookmark and that you keep, right? And so he says here, still I try to wish racism away with symbolic victories like the 1964 Civil Rights Act and President Obama's election in 2008. For every civil rights gain, there have been decades of policies crafted to chip away at fair housing hiring and college admission practices. For every Obama and Ava DuVernay and Kendrick Lamar as blacks, there have been so many like Michael Stewart, Eleanor Bumpers, Amadou Diallo, James Byrd, Trayvon Martin, and Sandra Bland in my lifetime. And so, you know, you know, I'll read some more because, like I said, this had serious impact on me you know, after I read this. So he said, two recent books have confirmed that I and other black historians place far too much hope in a racism-less future. American University historian Ibram X. Kendi is one of the few to acknowledge the limitations of black progress throughout American history. And so he goes on. And this is hard. 
this is very hard and difficult to digest because it's like, what do you do? What do you do? How do you move forward? What do you do next? You know, is it real progress or is it just enough to shut us up? And those of you that have been around for a while, you know I I go in and I talk about some of the so-called black leaders, you know, who have betrayed the black community. And the only things, you know, they've done over the years is fat in their pocket and their stomach. And they've done nothing. And I have my critiques of Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. That hasn't changed. People pay them to go away. That's what you need to understand. You know, and I can give you many examples I have on this show. You know, but, yeah, that shit is sobering. Because it was like someone just, you know, started running from a block away and just slapped the shit out of me after I finished reading it. You know, and, um, you know, I don't like being in that position because, you know, that reveals vulnerability, if you will. And so then you have to start looking at things from a different perspective. I mean, I try to look at things from a number of different perspectives, but, again, you know, the dystopic nature of basically, you know, being told that these folks don't want to change, they're never going to change, they'll give you something and then turn around and take all of these other things away, which renders that something they gave you as worthless and useless. So what do you do? And it doesn't help when you have so-called civil rights icons and legends like John Lewis and Andrew Young, you know, saying all of these crazy things, you know, on TV. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but I saw it making the rounds because last Sunday Andrew Young was on television and, you know, he talked about black militants and he called them cowards. And, you know, um, he just talked about a number of things. But it all boiled down to dollars and cents because he was talking about the millions of dollars that were wasted and not seen by different states because of some of the unrest that has been taking place culturally and politically in this country. And so you have people like John Lewis saying that after a police officer beat the hell out of him, he turned around to him and said, thank you for your service. Well, I can pretty much tell you a lot of young folks ain't going to do that. And so when you have these civil rights icons out here saying these things, and, and you know, you know, what I would like to ask them is, so where's your plan? What do we do? How do we achieve these things? And how are we able to distribute and make sure that everybody benefits from this without being trampled on? Because one of the issues that, you know, 
took place then and is still taking place now is that you have a number of black men that are trying to come in and take over and usurp the authority and the power of a lot of these black women that have started some of these local and grassroots community and national movements. And so it turns into a fight. And then, you know, it's just, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So um, go and read that. Go and read it. Um, And, you know, maybe I need to reread it again. Maybe I misunderstood it, right? I don't think so. You know, um, I just ordered a book that he referenced in this article. It's called The Alchemy of Race and Rights by Patricia Williams. And it was delivered Friday. I guess I need to go down to the mailbox and get my mail out of it. But, um, you know, in this book, he says here, Patricia Williams in her The Alchemy of Race and Rights showed a quarter century ago what many black historians have failed to acknowledge. The story of blacks in the U.S. has always been somewhere between a bittersweet symphony and a heroic tragedy. To say that blacks never fully believed in rights is true. Yet it is also true that blacks believed in them so much and so hard that we gave them life where there was none before. We held on to them, put the hope of them into our wounds, mothered them, and not the notion of them. In America, without the material and psychological advantages that racism has provided whites, while also disadvantaging blacks, would cease to be. You know, there's much, much more to this article, but what he's saying is true. It's true. You know, and he goes on to talk about kind of hasty coats and, you know, his his quote about black life and black life is cheap, but in America, black bodies are a natural resource of incomparable value. Now, that is true. You know, and right here he says, but the African-American experience is more than just the physical and constant fear and apocalyptic despair of white exploiting, raping, maiming, and killing black bodies. Now, that right there was the drop kick for me. And I'll read that again. But the African-American experience is more than just the physical and constant fear and apocalyptic despair of white exploiting exploiting, raping, maiming, and killing black bodies. And he goes on to say, it is an experience of the spirit and mind, a history of an inspirational, maybe even delusional faith in a mythical America. What can blacks do in a nation that will ultimately never change, in an America forever committed to a racial and gendered caste system? And so it's much more, but the name of this article, again, is Have Black Historians Been Wrong All Along? And the little byline says, with American racism and black history, there are no happy endings. And the author, his name is Donald Earl Collins. And um, read that, you know, because that stopped me dead in my tracks last Sunday after I read it. You know, and so bear with me, bear with me. You know, it'll be all right, but that's depressing as fuck. So anyway, 
I'm going to end the show on a good note. You know, um, again, white Christians, in whom or who do you trust? You know, many of you have put more trust and more faith in, you know, President Trump and Donald Trump than you have in your Bible in Jesus, especially with the messages of love. And it's just amazing because, again, you want to continue to use the Bible as a weapon, as a means of control while cherry-picking, you know, the parts that are usable in regards to basically keeping marginalized communities in their place. And so, again, this is one of the reasons why you have people walking away from religion because of situations like this, because of these type of examples, because of your silence because of the fact that, you know, you want to say that, you know, racism is a sin, but you don't want to give up your privileges. And, you know, they're going to continue being a mass exodus in the church. And that's one of the reasons why I've come down on the secular community, because, again, these white supremacists have come over here. They found a soft place to land. We've been talking about that. We've founded the bill. Is not any different over here than it is over there in mainstream America. It's the same shit. And, um, you know, clearly, one of the most clear examples of this bullshit is Sam Harris. And what he said, you know, on a number of different occasions, you know, his attacking um, black identity politics, his attacking Black Lives Matter, his agreeing with Charles Murray and the bell curve bullshit, but these are your heroes. This is one of your force for horsemen. These are the ones that you you know you all have replaced the God of the Bible and the Quran, and replaced them with the four horsemen. Scientism is a religion, and you turned atheism into a religion too. And this is why you have the mass exodus from this community. So white Christians, if it makes you feel any better, you know, about people running away from the church, you know, because you want to say that they were never one of you to begin with, you know, that, that particular verse. Same thing is happening over in the secular community. The same bullshit of each other. And I've been saying this for years. People got mad at me. People got mad at Raina. We've been pointing this shit out, but now the chickens have come home to roost. Your tree is yielding fruit, and you don't like the way that it tastes. We told you. So anyway, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about something what, I don't know, but I think I need to take a trip down the black Christian lane. I think I need to talk to the black Christians next Sunday. So be prepared, or maybe I'll talk about wicked supremacy. 
white supremacy is so wicked, it got white folks nervous. But that's what we're seeing. It just really depends on what type of fuckery happens this week. So, all right, y'all. Have a good weekend. Thank you. I appreciate each and every one of you. Take care. Bye-bye.